welcome, welcome, welcome everyone to another episode of Super Upper Punch. And today in studio, we have my very good friend, Mr. Alex Mann. How you doing, buddy? Well, sir, how are you? I am fantastic. A little sweaty, just got out of jujitsu, but Sweet. you know. I'm always sweaty. That's why I'm going to give you a really big hug after this. I'm risking <sighs> staff just for you. Excellent. I don't do this for many people. Hey, I'm down. <laughs> I've fought staff before. We're good. Really? You had staff? No, no, I avoided it before. Oh, okay. I was a wrestler. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you get staff and ringworm and ringworm. all those things. Did you ever get ringworm? Uh, no, but I did have a funny-looking mole on my head once they thought was ringworm. What? So that, that isolated me for a couple of days. What was it? It was just a mole. Just Oh, okay. It's just a mole. Just a random mole yeah, just man. popped up out of nowhere? I had nowhere. it, went to the doctor, had it looked at, it was just a mole. They're I didn't like, know moles just, like, come and then go as they please. It was still there. I, was, I have a scar. I don't know. Oh, okay. So you got it, like, surgically removed or something? Yeah, they had the biopsy, so they took oh, half of it. Okay. I don't know why they only take half. Hmm. But, you know, whatever. I had a little, like, uh, benign tumor on my arm one time, like, above my wrist. You could actually see the scar a little bit still because they had to burn it off. Good Lord. Yeah. They were like, hey, it's not cancer, so that's good. I'm like, that would be a very small cancerous tumor. Yeah. The worst, smallest one. We're getting really off topic right off bat. So Automatically. Yeah, yeah. This has now become uh, med talk. It's all about, with, yeah, weird things. Dr. Rich Rodriguez. Weird things to find in your body. <laughs> so, uh, Alex, why don't you tell uh, the listeners a little bit about uh, who you are and uh, your what your accomplishments are in martial arts. Oh, and my. Yeah, let's start with that. Okay. Who you be? Who I be. Uh, I started martial arts at a young age because my parents were tired of me kicking the doors in the house. Good reason. Yeah. I was around uh, four or five, somewhere in there. Um, started right away in karate, uh, Shudokan, stuck it out. Now I've been involved directly with karate itself for upwards of 30 years. Uh, you know, so you do the math, an old man. Um, I started wrestling in high school about the time that actually, uh, I actually recently put this together. I think that one of the black belts in my dojo was doing the Henner Hidon Gracie, like combatives home course back when it first came out on VHS and they would send you like, they'd send you like the blue belt plus the, the movies. Um, cause he started bringing in jujitsu. And I, I never knew where, like, where it came from. Um, but I was a wrestler, so I was like, sweet, more wrestling. And I'd stay after class and get guillotine choked over and over <laughs> and over and over and over uh, until I started picking up a few tricks and stuff like that. Um, you know, never went for any rank in jiu-jitsu, but, uh, you know, that was uh, always something I kind of loved and... Uh, as I got older, I was always interested in various different martial arts, studied them, but didn't like, I studied them in that I wanted to learn as much about them, but I never went and found like a Sifu and learned Kung Fu, and I never went to like Taekwondo or anything like that. Um, my sensei was really cool though. He would bring in people from other systems on occasion. So, Are the karate systems or just other? Other systems. Like I, I okay. found out... Um, only a few years ago that he had like two black sashes in Kung Fu and he was also a boxer and he had a, I think he had a black belt in judo. So I was like, dude, (laughs) you know, uh, what? Uh, but, uh, you know, the karate I got from him, I think was invaluable to me as a Mm -hmm. person. So I don't regret any of that. And I have plenty of people now I can learn from too. And it's all good. And, and what are you doing now? I know you are doing uh, Gracie Combatives. I, yeah. Jiu-Jitsu. Yeah. Um, you know, when I started teaching at uh, Pouncing Tigers in Harlem, uh, it like jump started my training again. Um, you know, now I'm learning Hapkido and I wanted to, uh, right when I started, I wanted to practice sort of like teaching because mm-hmm. I had been out of teaching for a number of years and all of my training was sort of private study. Um, so I found a buddy and he and I talked and did a couple classes and he was really interested in jujitsu. And the great thing about that, um, for those that don't know much about jujitsu or or Brazilian jujitsu, um, is like, I've always liked the premise of the smaller person beating the bigger person with leverage, but 
I'm a big guy. <laughs> <laughs> so when I grapple with people, I can just be heavy, <laughs> you know, or I can muscle them. You know, I mean, like we grappled Listeners, around a little bit. We're basically talking to a, a young Grizzly Adams looking guy in here. In fact, that was my nickname for you for a very long yeah, time. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. So, like, uh, you know, it's hard to find a training partner to keep you in check leverage-wise yeah. if you're big. Um, you know, it's it's easy to slip into muscling people over. And so this guy is also big. So it's it's awesome to be able to grapple with a dude that I have to I have to legit, like, snake out from under him or or I do have to press him a little bit to kind of adjust my hips and shrimp to, to get leverage and... Um, which is really cool, but he, he really wanted to do jujitsu and he didn't have a lot of time. Um, he's in theater and I have to do like, we would meet in between shows. So and he's in a pretty busy show. Too. He's in a very busy show. Okay. Um, yeah. So like, uh, <laughs> I don't know if I should tell everybody. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but anyway, we can he, edit this. Yeah, you, man. He's, <laughs> he's in a busy show. It's cool. Um, so like I meet him at the theater and we do it in between shows. Uh, so it's hard to sneak him out to like a jujitsu gym or, you know, we had to bring in mats. So the easiest thing, since I'm not ranked in jujitsu and I only know, you know, this much is uh, to take a course together. And uh, the cool thing about it, you know, after all the years of martial arts, I, you know, anybody I think falls into the tendency of thinking, well, I know how the body moves. Like I'm good. I can figure this out just by knowing sort of, this this and this and then um sorry he's uh since he's uh brand new he he's never done anything mm. um he like listens to every word and it's really cool so we're doing uh gracie university and i'll go in and i'll be like yeah i know how to do a backward lever i know i know the americana dude just don't and he'll be like yeah but henner said and i'll be like <laughs> yeah henner said he you're right you're right i should probably pay more attention to what henner said um, and then I'll go back and like watch it. And, oh yeah, okay. So it's pretty cool because he keeps me in check when I get cocky, and then I I sort of help him connect the dots when it doesn't quite make sense. And I think that that's what they built that system around. I think mm-hmm. that's what the whole Gracie Academy, the university, is for. I think that's their whole the whole point. And do you find that that information is very easy to digest, or do you find yourself like rewatching some things over and over and over again to try to get it? It's easy to digest, but I, I mean, like with anything, I mean, if you're going to do a home course or you're going to take notes, like taking notes during class, man, go back and look, mm. you know, it, it's, it's only going to serve you to go back over it, you know, and the more dedication you can show to whatever you're studying, the better you're going to get. And have you, uh, I know we've rolled before, yeah. but um, have you had a chance to roll with anybody else that has been training in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu at, at a gym? Um, not a lot. Actually, um, you know, uh, the bummer recently, he got hurt, um, totally unrelated, <laughs> As it usually but he got, is. he got hurt. And so I'm kind of like cooling my heels, waiting for him to, to heal up. And I just haven't had a chance. Hmm. Um, you know, you, you get caught up in life and you, you have to make time to train. And some days it's harder than others. But uh, I really want to. Like, I was listening to your Master Sky earlier, and I was like, man, I got to go down there. <laughs> I got to get my butt kicked. It's a great, great. gym. I was I, just I, there I getting choked I a know. lot. A lot of lapel chokes. <laughs> it was fun. Not breathing for a while. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's um, uh, go back a little bit. Um, you talked about your uh, experience in karate, and mm-hmm. now you're teaching at a different gym, Pouncing mm-hmm. Tigers, which right. is where we know each other from. Right. Uh, and tell us about... Uh, your experience there and what they're teaching and what you've learned through teaching there as well. Oh man. Uh, so much. Uh, I mean, I, I never thought about my, my dojo growing up as like hyper traditional. Like it, it really wasn't, um, you know, we didn't say, you know, yes, sensei, or hi, anything like that. <laughs> we were pretty much like, you know, sensei would be like, you know, move your foot to the other side and you're like, no. Yeah. Okay. I will. And then you move it. <laughs> you do what he says. Got it. Um, but at the same time, you know, like he, he primarily taught adults. And so growing up as a kid, or at least my perception at the time, you know, when you're five, it looks the world looks different. But my perception was, you know, I'm in a dojo. There are a lot of adults and they're like four kids. 
So I got older, you know, I got my black belt, and then it was like, okay, you teach the kids the basics, go. And then I got closer to being an adult, and, you know, like the first time you're this sort of early teen adjusting an adult, and it feels really weird. You're like, you're like 15 years older than me, you know? (laughs) And they're going, you're like 15 years younger than me. What do you know? I'm like, I don't know, man. I started when I was five. Um... That, so like, that's a weird experience in, uh, it's on its own. Really we could just have a whole episode experience. on just that. Oh, dude, it's so weird. As as a kid trying to be like, I've been doing this longer than you. Um, this is what they always said, and this is what I practice every time I'm here. And so for me to see you not do what I'm supposed to do, I outrank you. Uh, but how do I say I outrank you, adult? You know, yeah, it, yeah. It's just it's a weird sort of place to be. Um, but I wouldn't trade it. Like my dojo was awesome. I had great black belts that all were different, that all taught me kind of different things. That now, because I'm at Pouncing Tigers, I get to sort of pass on because we have like an entire kids program. Mm-hmm. So now I get to work on like um, at Pouncing Tigers. It's based on Hapkido. First off, um, so now I'm studying Hapkido, which I picked up pretty quickly because of my background. It's pretty similar to what I did, uh, you know, with some adjustments. You know, there's more grappling. There's, you know, we did standing jujitsu techniques in my dojo. Um, so to be dealing with, um, you know, wrist manipulations and throws and redirection of energy and stuff kind of lent itself to me pretty easily. And uh, so that transition has been kind of smooth you know i'm getting up into the higher ranks now um just to be able to sort of stay ahead of the students that are now getting to the high ranks so that i can keep you know sort of transferring information um you know but it's the whole sort of if you let your cup empty you have nothing to pour out sort of concept um but our our kids program is all based on that hapkido uh, and I, it's fun to make karate connections to the <laughs> yeah. kids because then I'm like, you know, oh, well, this is how I look at it. And then, you know, I did kata, I've done kata for 30 years. So yeah. now I've got 30 years of experience in forms and, uh, you know, a down block isn't always a down block. A punch isn't always a punch. Like, let's think creatively for a minute and play a game and kind of make it better. <laughs> I, mean, I, I had the same experience when I was there too. Was I was thinking of everything in a boxing and grappling and MMA sort oh, of totally. mindset. So uh, especially when we were doing grappling, I'm like, oh, let's see some Von Flew jokes. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> like, yeah, totally. And and uh, it's it's interesting to have that, that, uh, that point of reference and then you just kind of divert from there even though like this is the style you're supposed to be teaching but just like when you were just learning, you were able to now teach from a place where they allow you that wiggle room to kind of do a little bit of what you want. Totally. Well, that's the benefit of having a group of instructors that are from different backgrounds, too. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what was fun about having, um, you know, having you around and, and is stuff like I'm from a, you know, at least perceivably stand-up background, and then um, even though, you know, I wrestled so I understand leverage and control, um, I do have, you know, the, the jiu-jitsu that I have. It was fun to, like, teach the kids from the wrestler standpoint how to do eight positions and then the sort of jiu-jitsu adjustment and then go, and now Mr. Rich is going to talk. And then have you be like, <laughs> oh, yeah, and then from here and, you know, talking about transferring from from like reverse to back reverse and from you know into back mount and stuff like that. Yeah, and when we had Tall there, shout out to oh, our boy dude. Tall. Yeah, who Tall I hope is listening. Yeah, I miss him, man. Me too. I miss him. Uh, my knee doesn't miss him, <laughs> but uh, he destroyed my knee. But uh, I do miss him. Yeah, man. He's got. I gotta get. Uh, see, that's another reason I gotta get to Master Sky so Tall can choke me once or twice. Yeah, he has to come back from uh, Pennsylvania though. What? Yeah, he's in Pennsylvania right now. Oh. Listeners, this is not for you. This is for us now. <laughs> Excellent. But no, it, it was really cool to have someone like him from mm-hmm. uh, jiu-jitsu and yeah. then me from like boxing and MMA and jiu-jitsu. Definitely. Uh, karate, a Muay Thai instructor. 
taekwondo, taekwondo hapkido mm-hmm. wrestling everything all in one so we kind of had this like unique sharing of ideas and concepts and we came from it very even the way we down to the way we wrapped our hands was mm-hmm. like completely was different and the the way we even like taught a class mm-hmm. when we would the, the few times that we had the opportunity to take each other's classes and be like oh you teach this one technique wildly different from mm-hmm. the way that I would and it doesn't mean that it's wrong or right it just means that it's different yeah definitely well and i've i've learned tons by doing that just stepping into someone else's class i mean like i thought i understood a muay thai roundhouse until i stepped in and took sarah's class and i was like oh yeah okay that's different from what i thought uh, also, excellent. Sarah on this also podcast. an excellent uh, Muay Thai teacher. She is. She's terrific. She is. I wanted to get her in here. She's like, I don't have anything to talk about. I'm like, you, you've done a lot. Yeah. Gave me a concussion. Yeah. Kicked totally. a lot of other people in the she head too. Just, she could do a whole session just talking about concussing you. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that there's a lot of people that would love to hear about me getting, getting knocked out. Not clean, knocked Not out. Clean. Just one of those ah, I'm fine and then a couple hours later just like oh I should probably go to the hospital because I'm vomiting and spinning yeah <laughs> so, you know normal Tuesday yeah, yeah normal stuff to do at 5 a.m. totally <laughs> uh, but uh, going back to teaching kids because uh, we talked about now the way that we would all teach something would be different mm-hmm. and now you're teaching kids where structure and uniformity and consistency mm-hmm is so important because if they see five different ways to do one technique, it could be very overwhelming for a young mind. Mm. So how do you personally ride that line between I'm going to teach you a new way to do something that you already know, but mm. also let's keep this point of reference that this is the way to do it. Right. I I try and always start and end with sort of the same core direction. Um, you know, I mean, like even if something as simple as a jab or a cross, let's, let's do the cross karate reverse punch is you know, massive, right? So we teach a, a boxing style jab cross. Um, but uh, as we found out, um, we still teach cross differently. Yes. Like, um, you know, so I have like little speeches where I'm like, you know, from your fighting stance, the hand goes straight, you know, shortest distance from A and B is a straight line. So Go straight from your guard to the target, turning the thumb slightly down, raising the shoulder, protect the chin, snap it right back. 100 miles an hour out, 200 miles an hour back. Now, (laughs) (laughs) you know, get them to do that a couple times. And then I go, okay, so in karate, reverse punch. Uh, You know, let's adjust our fighting stance just because it's fun. Yeah. You know, and then you go from the boxing fighting stance to the adjusted karate stance or even the hapkido stance. and you're like, okay, so in, in a lot of traditional karate sparring, you know, it comes from a lower guard. You're not up at your cheekbones or, or your temples or even just at your chin. You're often a little bit lower. And teaching them how to come from the hip into the target and back without that extra sort of quarter rotation. Mm-hmm. Um, just to kind of play and make it a game. But then, of course, you know, circling back and going, okay, back to boxing stance. Bam. Throw your cross, jab, cross, jab, cross, jab, cross, just so they get that practice. But then they have something else that they can go home and go, yeah, but then Mr. Alex said this thing and I thought it was kind of cool and play their game. Yeah, it's it's really difficult. I'm finding now the more I teach kids, Mm -hmm. and especially different ages um, and in different settings, uh, I'm trying to ride that line between teaching them something in a uniform way, but also because of the style that I teach, letting them have that individuality. Because I come from boxing and MMA where it's very, very individualized mm-hmm. at by the time you get to the high enough level. It's, it's some people fight with their hands up, hands down, uh, switching stances. Maybe somebody's going to uh, have different defense styles, head movement. Maybe they just shell up. You know, There's tons and tons of different things, just down to the way that they just throw a jab. Mm-hmm. And it's weird to let them all be able to do that, but at the same time kind of have some things. That way I don't end up teaching kind of like nine different lessons in one class sure. just because there's so many different styles. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of the same question, but just now in from, just from a specific technique to just a broader sense. How do you mitigate that? 
I mean, I mean, I you have to teach a baseline. I think. Um, I think it's important to, to teach creative thinking to kids. I think that um, it seems like a lot of that is getting sort of phased out. I mean, like I'm not in formal school education really um, right now. I don't see a lot of what happens, you know, in English class or or math class or whatever. I've every now and then I see a kid's math homework and I wonder what's happened in the last 20 <laughs> years but that common um, core man it's dude, getting everybody um but it, i think that it's important to still teach creative thinking i think that um you know uh <laughs> going back to actually gracie university um they had a great moment they were talking about the scientist mind in jujitsu mm. where you're taught something and you do it a thousand times or ten thousand times but at the same time, like if you have a question, instead of just like stopping your coach, your professor, your sensei, whatever you want to call them, and going, hey, what if this? They're like, try it. Try it. If it works, great. is the best teacher. Man. If it doesn't work, eh, maybe something little can change. Or maybe they'll see you and they'll go, hey, that was a really good thought. I found this helps. And they'll adjust one thing and then you get to play with it a little bit. I think that's important. I think that it makes it more interesting. It'll keep um, involvement in the martial arts longer. I think that if we're so rigid that we don't, you know, that everything is like, no, this is the only way to do anything. That's where martial arts starts to fail people because it, it takes away the creative thinking aspect of it. Especially because kids don't really think of things in parameters yet. Mm -hmm. When we're adults, we think of things, okay, this is the rules of this thing, and it has to fall into these guidelines, so I have to think about it in this, and that's how I have to find a new solution. Whereas a kid will just be like, no, I'm just going to take this and put it upside down and try to figure it out from there. It's really, really interesting. Um, kind of related. I was at a uh, uh, an outdoor event in Harlem where they had like kind of like a, a, a STEM-based uh, like fair for kids so they had you know little like robotics teams and vr like booths and stuff oh, cool. and at one of these uh little robotics things they had this uh robot arm that could pick up a paper ball and had a little uh, controller and they were challenging the kids to just pick up the paper ball with the the robot arm and so you see like some older kids and some adults come over and play with it and they're using the joystick to pick it up and some of them are kind of failing and Others are kind of getting it, but then they'll drop the ball as they're about to put it to the other side. And one kid just completely just like, well, obviously I have the answer to this. He just picks up the whole metal arm, grabs it with his hands, <laughs> and then like throws the ball to the other side. I'm like, well, you didn't say he couldn't do that. That's so true. I guess I guess you're right. And it's that sort creative of just problem like, solving. yeah, like. Not even creative, it just seems so obvious when you think of it. And sometimes it takes that childlike mind to be mm -hmm. like, oh, why don't you just do this, dummy? And you're like, oh, yeah, we could have done this this whole entire time. It's true. It's true. And, I mean, everybody thinks about things differently. I mean, you find in adult classes, too, that you have to say, I mean, how many, how many different ways can you tell someone to pivot when yeah. they kick? Like, there are at least five different ways just that are just in the bank on – pivot <laughs> yeah you know um and it was funny seeing at pouncy tigers just everyone every instructor telling them to do it a different way yeah totally yeah or even just like with me with the punch i'm like it's like you're squishing a bug and someone else is like oh mm -hmm. it's like you have a uh, gum on your shoe you're trying to get it off or some other people just say just pivot the foot i'm just not going to do foot. like some sort of like little analogy yeah. or just just pivot it one of my favorites was actually from a student who was talking to another student, and she was like, just point your ass in the air. <laughs> when your leg comes up to hit, turn your ass in the air. I've heard that before, like, or show like, them your back pocket. Oh, amazing. Yeah, it works. It works, man. Uh, we're going to turn it over to Mickey now. Mickey, uh, oh, oh, you're not ready to ask a question? Usually you have such good questions. Well, we have Mickey and Lance here, so who's going to ask a question for the non-martial artists? Uh, I heard you talk about a lot of technique and stuff like that. Um, you want to talk into the mic, Lance? Because you're a professional podcaster? Oh, they're not on. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'll yell it. Uh, <laughs> um, so you talk a lot about techniques. It's just a different way of teaching everything. Um, has there... 
what student I should say has been the most, uh, you don't have to name them or anything like that, but been the most infuriating and just didn't get it. Like, you know, like something you've taught that was like, it's kind of simple, but they're just not picking up what you're putting down to steal a phrase. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's interesting because there's been times that I know I've taught something and I'm like, I don't think I could break this down any more simplistically. Yeah, that's hard. I mean, it's funny that, I mean, we were already talking about the pivot. Um, but it's amazing how many people at whatever age come out and it's like they've never moved their body before. Um, you know, and then the cool thing about that is to see them sort of grow into these people that can like throw the awesome kick or a really strong cross or whatever. But, um, (laughs) most inferior, you know, uh, the primary worry really is safety in the end mm-hmm. um, whenever you're teaching anything. And there are some people out there that just can't, you know, get their toes out of the way or, you know, they don't know the difference between like a flexed foot and a pointed foot. So I, I went through sort of my Rolodex where I was like, okay, point your toes up to your nose. Okay, point your toes at the ground. Okay, now keep your legs straight and just lift it to the pad. And they started, and then they point their toes at the pad, and then it would tap. And I was, okay, that didn't work. Uh, Think of yourself as a ballerina and get up on the ball of your foot and keep your toe pointed and just slowly lift. And that didn't work. And then I would grab their foot. Like, you know, (laughs) you say it four or five different ways, and then you're like, okay, just just hold my arm, and I'm going to grab your foot. And then you grab it, and you put it on the pad. And this is what it should feel like. And you have their partner, like, tap their foot. <laughs> and then you put them back down. And then they still, it's like, toes up. Boom. And then they're like, ow, I keep hitting my toes. And you're like, I don't know if I should take everything away from you and just make you kick in the air or what. Um, I think, actually, the person that I'm thinking of, I think that eventually I just, I convinced their partner to move into the shin uh. and just completely bypass their foot for the time being. And then after a couple of weeks, we started to make progress. And of course, this was a person that you know wasn't necessarily that interested in the first place. They were taking some classes, and you know you try and and build enthusiasm in people that are kind of like, eh, I just wanted to try something new. And maybe it wasn't for them. Maybe it was a chemistry thing, but they just sort of faded and stopped returning my calls. <laughs> well, that that's an uh, uh, important thing to talk about because. I've had this discussion before, and I wish it was on this podcast. Mm. It's that martial arts are for everyone, but they're not for just anyone. Not every martial art is for everyone. I'm saying in general. There's some people that just, um, they can do it, but it's, I mean, I guess that can be about anything, really, not Mm. just martial arts. That, you know, any sort of activity everyone's welcome to do it. Sure. Every, it, it's accessible to everyone, hopefully, in, in a perfect world. But uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that everyone will stick with it or should stick with it because they might not have the, the temperaments or whatever. Oh, sure. That's, that's probably the biggest worry, I think, is, is there are people that, I mean, I don't know how many other gyms get this, but there's the crazy that comes in and, like, yells at everybody. And you're like, okay, uh, I'll just say whatever it takes for you to go outside. Like, yeah, come back for class. Uh, <laughs> in three weeks, we'll have an opening, you know? Yeah. And they never show up again. And you're like, oh, goodness. Thank you. Uh, but, you know, there are there is that aspect of, you know, you want as many students as you can as you can take. You want to help as many people as possible because, I mean, I I do believe that martial arts helps people. I think that teaching martial arts to people helps them. It helps with temperament. It helps with just general discipline. Even if it's like, you know, I eat too much crap food, you know, I'm tired of feeling that crap during class, so I stop eating crap food, and now I feel better during class. Even if it's as simple as that, um, it helps in a lot of ways. But there are some people that won't take it upon themselves to help themselves. Yeah. So yeah. no matter what you say, no matter how many times you're like, self-discipline, <laughs> you, you make the decision, they, they won't. Uh, 
Yeah, and so like, even if you want them, uh, if you meet them a few times and they are messing up the vibe of your school or they're messing with, like how you interact with them, there are also times to kind of let people go. Yeah, yeah, I've noticed that most of the time. It, it's with people that usually think that they already know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, teenage boys come to mind <laughs> a lot. <laughs> sure. Teenage boys and bro-y guys, yeah. yeah. Usually. I, mm-hmm. I've always said that it, it it tends to be that female students are better, uh, especially at the younger ages, mostly because they're like, I don't know what I'm doing, so I'm just going to listen to everything that you say and take it as gospel. Whereas a lot of boys are like, I know what I'm doing. I'm cool. And then they end up busting their ass trying to do a spin kick or something like that. And you're yeah. like, that's not what you were doing, man. Yeah. What's going on? That's true. That's true. It's that testosterone poisoning, man. We're, yes. we're very susceptible to it. We're dumb. Boys we're are dumb. dumb. We're dumb. So uh, I, I want to talk I more. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad. I'll take the approval. M- Mickey gave that one to Enthusiastic thumbs up. Sweet. Uh, I want to talk more about uh, uh, teaching kids mm. and then remembering what it was like when you were a kid learning. You said you started at, at about five years old, right? Yeah, four or five. I was pretty young. So is there anything that you came across when you were very, very young learning martial arts that you kind of replay in your head when you are teaching kids like maybe you'll be like teaching a certain technique or doing a certain lesson and then you'll see something a kid you're like oh he's going through the same thing that i was going through oh she's feeling the same way that i felt when i did this hmm i you know honestly um we've been teaching we've been getting more into sparring again lately Mm -hmm. and um sparring was not my favorite uh as a kid i really didn't like it uh i don't know if it was I mean, <laughs> I have some theories. I I was a big kid. I became a big kid fast. Uh, so my mom used to tell me, like, you're bigger than everybody. Don't hurt anyone. You have to be gentle. And so... Was that just in reference to martial arts or in general? That was just always. That oh. was like, you know, playing. And I mean, like, she, it's not like she was, like, ragging on me all the time. But she would... Um, you know, she would remind, she would do her best to remind me um, to, to, even though I was a nice kid, I would, to take care of the other kids, like not to bowl anybody over. And so when I'd get in sparring gear, I'd become really timid because I was afraid that if I threw a punch really hard, I no. would hit somebody and they would get hurt because I was bigger than them. And uh, it actually, um, it got me, I used to lose like all the matches in the school. I'd go out and I had a, a really good friend that uh, was much smaller than me, and he used to just run at me punching, <laughs> completely, like completely nothing. You said this is your friend? Me. He was my friend no, while we were sparring. Oh, okay. Like, that was his attack. They'd say Hajime, and he would like run at me and just throwing left, right, left, right, left, right, left, right, left, right, knowing that I wasn't gonna bowl him over, knock him down, whatever. Mm. Um, so I'd lose. It'd be like boom, one point, boom, two points, boom, three points, done. You know. At and a certain then, point, you figure your friend would be like, hey, man, well, you got to throw something. I mean, back. yeah. But, I mean, we were both really young, you know. Yeah, what am I? Yeah. At that point, I'm like six, maybe seven. So, you know, he was probably five or six. And we go to a tournament. And I've been gearing up for this tournament. So I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, the competitive energy hits me. And, you know, I do my kata and I do my weapons form. And then I get geared up for sparring. And I know they, they pair us up. And I'm like, oh. I have to spar Josh. He's going to run at me and punch. Oh, God. And the kid comes sprinting at me right when they say Hajime, and I just threw a front kick. I hit him right in the middle of his chest. I sent him back like, I don't know. To me, it looked like 15 feet. <laughs> but I was little or littler than I am now. Um, and knocked the wind out of him. Oh. And it's a light contact sparring match. Like, I get DQ'd right away. Wow. They make me turn and kneel, and nobody had ever told me about turning and kneeling when you hurt your opponent. No one had told me. So suddenly I've got this adult yelling, yelling at me. Yelling at you. Oh. Turn and kneel. Turn and kneel. Turn. And I'm like, what? What? Uh, what? Hmm? I, I think I just killed my best friend in the dojo, and I've got a dude yelling at me. So, like, I turn around and I kneel. 
I finally make eye, you know, catch eyes with a black belt from my school who's like kneeling to show me what to do. Um, that was probably a lifesaver too. Oh, dude, just, just I was like, so oh, much Sensei Dave, and so thank many you. Happening. <laughs> You're just looking for anybody, just any beacon of light. Yeah, I was like, oh, I recognize you in the American flag gi because it was in the 90s. <laughs> um, <laughs> when that was a sensible choice to oh, make yeah, in fashion. <laughs> I thought he was so cool. He was the best. Um, With the Rex Kwando gi. <laughs> yeah, man. That was way before Rex Kwando. Um, but anyway, so like I turn to Neil and they give me fourth place because there were only four of us in the division. Aww. And, you know, I'm cool because I get a trophy, but I was really upset and um, he was mad at me. And I was like, dude, uh, you were running at me and I didn't want to lose. <laughs> he was like, well, you did lose. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> guess I did. So like when we're sparring, I kind of, I try and look for sparring anxiety. Mm. Um, you know, uh, there are some ways to do it. I don't know how everybody does it, but you know, you you introduce it as a game of tag, and um, you know, once the kids start getting older, we start talking about sort of like helping the opponent find where they're not, or helping your partner really find where they're not guarding, mm-hmm. and it's really a partner exercise. You're trying to make them better, and I think that that sort of eventually eases them in. Um, but I look for that, like, that kid that is going, if I unload, I'm going to hurt somebody, you know, particularly the bigger kids, you know? Yeah. On the flip side of that, I also look for the big kid that's like, I'm going to destroy this other kid, yes. <laughs> you know? I'm like, you're, God, you're 10. Chill out. Don't destroy anybody yet. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> Please <laughs> adhere to the rules. Go back to those testosterone-filled <laughs> boys. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Actually, that, that's a, that's not completely honest because there's some kids that just they they don't necessarily recognize that like oh I can hurt somebody. That's true. With this, yeah. they just think oh, okay it's kind of like a fight, but not really, but kind of. So I'm gonna fight them, and then they just whoo, just put everything into a haymaker and yeah. end up dropping another kid, yeah. and you're like Jesus Christ, what do I do here? Yeah, I, I yeah I just re- resort to like. The flash freeze. You say freeze really fast. Most of the kids will, will hear you, and then you get the kid that's like, you know, the kid that was swinging a jackhammer for a fist. Yeah. And then, okay, stop. Everyone else is frozen. You chill. Freeze too. Well, that that um idea of timidity. It's interesting to see that carry into adulthood, especially when someone's been doing martial arts for mm-hmm. a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um. There's someone that we both know, uh, excuse me, that um, she was explaining to us how she's been doing martial arts a very long time. She she feels competent in the techniques that she's teaching and even in sparring, she feels uh, good with that. But when it comes to an actual like self-defense situation, yeah. she's like, I don't think that I can or should necessarily pull the trigger. Right. And that's one of those interesting things that, like, it's like, oh, you can do it any time, but in this very specific instance, which is understandable because it's, like, just so stress-related. But you'd also assume that after doing it for so long that maybe something automatic would kick and you just go into that, you know, like, that fight-or-flight mode and just your training would just be like, we'll take over from here. Mm -hmm. Well, depending on the situation, you'd hope that's true. I mean, really. Um, if it's truly life or death, I would hope that the switch would flip. But yeah. um, I think that, you know, as much as that sort of raised raised with that semi-timidity that I had um, hurt me in that regard, like as far as competitions, um, I actually think it kind of saved me in some situations because I would assess them more. Mm. I feel like I would see when there was actual danger versus, like, superficial just posturing, Uh, you know, um, because I wasn't out looking to prove myself or to be like, you know, yo, I'm a black belt, let me step in and destroy whoever is causing the problem. I'd go, let's just talk, (laughs) you know, (laughs) Um, and granted, it's different for a woman. Very. Like, if a man comes up to you... um, and is even vocally aggressive, uh, you know, there is a, a point where it's like, nah, you need to you need to flip the switch. 
Absolutely. Because, uh, you know, most of the time, a, a guy's going to be bigger, the stronger. Um, you need to cause pain fast so that you can escape. And, uh, you know, I... I remember the conversation you're talking about and I remember like I think my response was that you know you, you've got to trust it because you're more important than they are yes and that's something that uh, I, I think you were the first person that I heard that from at Pouncing Tigers um, is that when you're in those self-defense situations I know it's specifically for like knife fighting mm-hmm. but in those self-defense situations you need to treat them as subhuman because they're looking to, to end you or to take something mm-hmm. away from you and it's okay in that situation to be like, you're less than me. Yeah. You're less than me. You're not as important than well, me. Well, the, the, yeah, the toxic masculinity aspect of, um, you know, I'm, I'm the, the big dude that you need to acknowledge, mm-hmm. um, even though all I'm doing is catcalling you, is, is subhuman. That's, with, that's no longer reason in that conversation they have abandoned reason and i mean come on if a guy you know i don't know I, having that conversation is is always a little uncomfortable as a guy but um knowing i don't know if it's the quantity or the quality of women that i know but uh the, the respect that i hold for them I, i'm like if some dude gets in your face and is demanding anything from you. Absolutely. You have every right to strike and run. You have every right to to cause pain and get out. Uh, the yeah. minute that they stand over you. Yeah, and, and I, I expect that, but or I, w- I would hope that that would happen, but I, I actually don't expect that a lot of the times, mm-hmm. is more accurately. I don't see that happening because we live in a culture that tells women that they shouldn't Mm. A lot of the time. They should just accept that. I mean, a lot of that comes from, like, I, I read a great book. And actually, okay, I'm going to go back to, to oh, the rule. you talking about books. I can't. I, can't. I know. No, <laughs> I'm I know. Kidding. Go ahead. Rich is illiterate. Um, <laughs> uh, talking about that rule, I actually learned that at Pouncing Tigers. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of the knife fighting do's and don'ts. Uh, you know, someone pulls a knife. They are no longer, they are subhuman. They intend to end your life. So you treat them as subhuman. Mm. Um because the separation between humanity and, you know, the concept of humanity and everything else is the ability to reason. Once that's out the window, uh, you can't tell someone to stop once they have abandoned reason. You can't reason with them. So you have to stop them uh, or escape. Um, but uh, great book, great book. So... Uh, I came across this book uh, actually as a recommendation at, at Pouncing Tiger. It's called The Gift of Fear. And uh, it's, it's simultaneously brilliant uh, and inspiring um, and terrifying because it is something that uh, – or it's, the concept of the book is as people, um, we have abandoned our instinct. And even if someone is being completely pleasant – you know, if you're a woman carrying groceries to your house and a man comes up and says, let me help you, and you say no, and they say, oh, you're being prideful, let me help, and you feel uneasy, you have a right to feel uneasy. That's an instinct, and you should listen to it. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it goes through situations like that. And, you, you know, she, you know, this woman doesn't owe an explanation to the nice guy. If he's a nice guy, he's going to go, well, that didn't work out. Yeah. And what's unfortunate is that a lot of, like, media and pop culture that we've consumed over the past, like, several decades plays into that idea of how that should play out. Like, I think of, like, a lot of the movies that I love. Think of freaking Rocky. Mm-hmm. Or the first Rocky movie when he's, he kind of, like, forces dirty. himself yeah. on Adrian. He's creepy. And, yeah, the, the last time I watched it, I was like, yeah. Oh, this is all rape culture. Yeah. Oh no, I can't watch yeah. Rocky anymore. Yeah. Damn you, Sly Stallone. Yeah, and it wasn't it wasn't necessarily his intent, you know. I mean, like I think that that scene was written because he was like, "Yo, this is a low class guy," you know. <laughs> Not that bad. Was, that was for you. Um, is that acting coming out? Yeah, man. <laughs> uh, 
you know, I think that came out because he was writing the script and he was like, you know, he's tough dude from the street. He's low class. He doesn't know how to sweet talk a girl. He's just he's going to be dirty and sweaty and and coax her into sex. And luckily, Adrian liked him, you know. Do, do you like, think so, though? Do you think it was just that that maybe he was thinking that? Because the thing is, a lot of movies and TV shows at that time had a lot of things that whether the the character was high class, low class, middle mm-hmm. class, anything, you would still find a lot the of guys guy being character. being trash. And then it was like, oh, that's just guys being I guys. Mean, hey, man, I, I have a I know a guy that James Bond is his favorite and his favorite line from any James Bond movie ever is Sean Connery slapping a girl on the butt and saying, man, talk, <laughs> you know, like, dude, come on. Um. <laughs> You know, I, I don't think that it's not like Sly was sitting in his house going, like, I'm going to perpetuate rape culture and make it normal. You know, I think that he was just writing a screenplay. It just so happened that the norm was already off. And then over time, a bunch of people writing stuff within the parameters of the norm uh, wrote a bunch of rape culture movies and shows. And, I mean... It needs to change. Mm-hmm. You know, it definitely needs to change. Um, I don't think that everything was intended to perpetuate that agenda, but there probably were things that, like, were there to totally be like, women should be submissive, which is gross. Yeah. James Bond, like you said. Oh, dude. <laughs> I do love James Bond. By the way, I would... Counter your friend with the best quote ever is not even spoken by James Bond. It's spoken by J.W. Pepper when he just yells, a secret agent. That makes me laugh every single time and live and let die. <laughs> uh, it, I could never keep a straight face just because of how awesome. just he, this big character of like everyone you know in the South at that time. Or everything we thought we knew about the South at that yeah. time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as we're winding down... Um, Gosh, I already forgot what it was that I was going to say. See, brain damage is real. It is. Brain damage is real, and being exhausted Legit. from jujitsu is real. Yeah. Um, no, uh, uh, that, that's what it was. So those exact same concepts we're talking about, about um, having that autonomy and, and uh, having that, uh, uh, the word has escaped me, but just knowing when a situation is dangerous or not, Going back to kids teaching that, mm. it's a very heavy thing. What do you think is the most important thing to get across when you're trying to teach something like that to a child? Um, I, You know what? Um, I have to sort of steal a page from a good friend of mine, um, a, well, a couple good friends of mine. They, um, they are raising a little boy and started very, very young acknowledging the word no. I mean, he's three, and when he says no, the adults are expected to honor and respect that. And I think uh, starting with teaching kids that, one, it's okay for them to say no, Mm -hmm. but if someone else says no, you have to respect it. It's going to go a long way. Like getting a generation of kids to sort of acknowledge the word no again. Not just from a right and wrong, um, you know, you can't have a cookie for dinner way. In just a simple, if a little girl or even another boy or whatever tells you no, you, you stop immediately. You stop what you're doing. Um, you know, we, we work that into sort of like bully talks. We work it into, um, you know, basic just... just uh, discussions about the martial arts tenets as we as we show them of courtesy right do you like it when someone ignores you when you don't want them to do something Mm. no i don't okay well then when someone tells you not to do something you honor and respect that you show them courtesy got it um you know it goes a little farther with the bully thing we teach them you know you need to find a way to assess if there's danger if it's annoying you need to you know, assert yourself um, and defend yourself vocally, then find an authority figure and defend yourself again in front of the authority figure, not present it to the authority figure. Like, we want them to be there. And then, of course, if that doesn't work, 
that's when we talk about violence. That's when hands got to be thrown. I mean, if hands got to be thrown, hands got to be thrown. I mean, sometimes one, kids got to get trapped. Look, one of, <laughs> <laughs> one of my favorite phrases is that, uh, you know, there's violence doesn't isn't always the answer. In fact, it usually isn't the answer. But the one time that it is the answer, it's the only one left. Yes. And when you when you have to. You be violent fast and you leave. Hope your crane kicks up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Cobra Kai. <laughs> on that note, uh, we are going to end. Uh, Alex, do you want to uh, plug your Instagram or anything else you're working on? Anything, yeah, any totally. projects? Uh, find me on Pouncing Sensei. Um, I'm, that's my Insta, Twitter. I think it's probably my Facebook <laughs> thing. Uh, I mean, Sensei Man is ultimately what's up, M-A-N-N. But uh, Pouncing Sensei is my tag for everything. Um, is it Pouncing underscore Sensei? Underscore, yeah. Ah, so hey, you just saved you. you did. Some other no Pouncing would Sensei would have gotten that. all these followers. <sighs> but, uh, <laughs> 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 yes, Pouncing underscore Sensei. Or Pouncing Tigers, one word. Um, I'm running most social media, so, uh, sharing social media with some other staff members. So uh, check us out, see what we do, drop in, take up keto. Up in Harlem. Up in Harlem. All right. Alex, thank you very much. Thanks and, for having uh, me. And I got to say it one more time on air this time. Uh -oh. Thank you for all your help at the Golden Gloves, man. Hey, Coming man. through. You're the Here real MVP. You. Here for you. Anytime. <laughs> all right, man. Uh, for everyone listening out there, we will see you next time. Peace. Peace.